Good evening and welcome. You're listening to 2XX FM 98.3, Canberra's people-powered radio. The program is Subject ACT, where we explore community and current affairs connected to our local Canberra community, bringing you stories from an informed and curious perspective with a global dimension. I'm Sophie Singh, and it's wonderful to have your company on the program tonight. The start of 2020 has put climate change at the very forefront of political and social agendas in the community and at the local, state, territory and federal government levels. And you would think that these ravaging fires and crippling drought would be the critical wake-up call for our politicians to take the really fundamental action that's needed to arrest climate change. And despite the we're meeting and beating our emissions reductions target, that is now the ad nauseum government script, the pressure to act has to continue to grow. Tonight on Subject ACT, I talked to three climate activists from different parts of the movement about strategies for action. This discussion was recorded in December last year, so before the bushfires became even more devastating. The impacts of climate change are well and truly being felt now to an alarming extent, with the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres saying in 2018, and I quote, if we don't change course by 2020, we risk missing the point where we can avoid runaway climate change with disastrous consequences for people and all the natural systems that sustain us. The challenge is to force political change, and we're exploring the different strategies that are part of the climate action movement. I want to welcome Julie Hill from Extinction Rebellion, Tim Hollow from the Greens, and Zane from the Climate Strike Student Movement. Julie, Zane, Tim, thank you very much for coming to the conversation today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sophie. You each come from different movements within the climate action space, or perhaps three branches of the single movement, which is diffuse and quite dispersed, but the ultimate goal for all the branches is the same, to stop, to reverse global warming and to transform globally for a sustainable future. I wanted to start with a bit of a context. If you can outline what the focus is for your part of the movement and what's the strategy that you're using to build the movement and ultimately to achieve the change that you're looking for. Julie, can we start with you? Thanks, Sophie. Well, Extinction Rebellion, I guess the focus, there's three main demands. The first is to tell the truth to tell the truth about what the state of affairs is at the moment. A lot of people still don't realise just how disastrous and and that we are on a tipping point. So the words like climate crisis, climate emergency, that we have entered that sort of phase, that we don't have 30 or 40 years transition anymore. So the first demand is tell the truth. The second is to take action on climate change immediately and to reduce emissions to net zero by 2025. I think when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that's an ambit claim. But actually, we have the technology to do it. The systems could be brought to bear to do it. We just don't have the political will. And then the third demand to do this transition is to set up a citizens' assembly to take some of those hard decisions out of politicians' hands where they have conflicts of interest. You know, they're lobbied by different groups and you have a group of citizens that are chosen randomly who choose to do it and all sorts of experts and 
the citizens work out what's the best way forward and that would be binding so that it's not politicians having to make those decisions when they've got so much pressure on them. Because they're difficult decisions and if it's left to politicians they're going to be worried all the time about the next election. So it would be binding, not in other areas of policy, but around that area. In climate change. Mm. Tim, can I ask you, from the perspective of the Greens, you know, what's the overarching goals and the overarching strategy to achieve that? Yeah, look, in terms of the policy outcomes, very, very swift emissions reductions and transformation of the way we govern, the Greens are in an interesting position, and I speak as as the director of the Green Institute, the Greens think tank, so kind of a step removed. And the one part of the Greens party, I guess, which doesn't need to be constantly thinking about the electoral cycle and what that involves. So the Greens operate within politics as it stands, but with a very clear goal that what we need to do is change politics very dramatically. And the more and more I've been thinking and looking at this, you know, somebody who's been working in the space for 20 years or more and discussing with a lot of people in a similar position, it's increasingly striking that our current political system, frankly, is incapable of tackling this challenge, probably at all and certainly within the time frame that we have remaining. And that's where I'm very interested in ideas like the Extinction Rebellion Citizens Assembly approach, but I would take it a step further because the other thing for me, looking around the world, not just at the climate crisis, but the crisis of democracy that we're seeing, the increase in authoritarianism and repression and undermining of our democratic institutions and norms, I am increasingly concerned that not only is our democratic system incapable of dealing with this crisis as it stands, but it's actually spectacularly ill-suited to enabling us to survive what's coming. And what we really need to be doing is building new democratic institutions and norms and building them from the grassroots up. Building systems which not only reduce our impact on the climate, but also build social cohesion, build resilience in our communities and in our societies, in our nations, if we continue to use that concept, and across human society across the globe. And participatory democracy is central to that, but not just participatory democracy, all sorts of things like the way we come together to share stuff and, and repair cafes and community gardens and welcoming refugees into our communities and all of these kinds of things. So what I think the Greens certainly attempt to do and often do quite well is tie these things together and say, yes, we are facing a climate crisis, which is the most urgent and important thing that we've ever faced. But we can't deal with that in the abstract without also thinking about it in the context of the movement of people around the world and not in the context of the way our corporations um, exist and take control of our politics and outside the context of job insecurity and all of these kinds of things we need to weave together, challenge them at the very heart of how they operate and start to construct systems that are going to enable us to confront this and to survive. And that's really a fundamental transformation of society. It is, but I think what we need to really face up to, and this comes also to the Extinction Rebellion demand to tell the truth, is that the idea that we can look at the world as it is today and think that we're not going to have a transformation in one direction or another in the next decade is a nonsense. The world as it's been for the last generation is gone. It's over. Zane, can you outline the overarching strategy for the student climate strike movement? The main point of school strike for climate globally as called by Greta Thunberg is to engage school students and young people in climate activism and fighting for our future especially given that we'll be the ones who are the most affected by climate change or the first generation to be really severely affected by the climate crisis and 
in Australia and across the world, what that means is putting on these massive global climate strikes that engage and bring in thousands of students from their schools onto the streets. And as we've seen with September 20 and going forward, also workers and adults. And Zane, the Fridays for Future, are they a separate action in addition to the mass strikes or are they one and the same? Well, Fridays for Future is basically just the equivalent of School Strike for Climate in most of Europe and elsewhere. Okay. But every Friday they have smaller strikes. Okay. And is that something that is being considered in Australia? I think there's definitely in talks about that, but it's a bit of a difficult thing to organise and yes. to get a large number of people. But I'd certainly be interested in seeing something like that okay. happen. What sort of response as a climate activist in your school have you had with other students and with the teachers and the principal and so on? I think students are really super passionate and engaged about climate change, about the climate crisis. And at my school specifically, everybody I talked to was at least interested and, and many came along. And it was a great response also for September 20, at least, from school administration. And they allowed us to put up posters within the school and to promote it openly. So I really appreciate that. It was a bit different on March 15 when the ACT government's directive was different. So the directive was to not be as supportive? Yeah, that we weren't allowed to put up posters within the school. And I know that it was especially hard organising for the school strike in private schools. I know in some schools they actively said you're not allowed to go to this and took steps to physically stop students from leaving school. Which would be quite confronting if you're at the brunt of that. Zane, do you have any sense of when the next strike might happen in the new year? Uh, Well, that's definitely a conversation that's still being happening, but we want to make sure it's going to be a really massive thing that can build on all our previous things and act as like a tentpole for all the different climate activism, just like September 20 was. At the climate conference in Madrid, there seems to have been very little achieved. Greta Thunberg expressed her frustration of the lack of breakthrough, despite millions of people coming out as part of the climate strike movement over the last year demanding change. That lack of breakthrough and the frustration is prompting demands for young people to have a seat at the negotiating table. And we touched on whether there is still any relevance to our existing parliamentary democracy and those channels. How does the climate strike movement relate to those parliamentary processes? Is the intention to have climate activists be propelled into positions of decision-making power in parliaments or is it to work uh, separate from those parliamentary processes? I think it's more working separate from those parliamentary processes, building a kind of mass movement at this point just with students. But I hope that it can be broadened out to be a truly mass movement to fight for it and to be able to push and lobby government with our voice through our actions in the streets and as a movement to push them to take action and political change. But at the same time, we do have some engagement with the parliamentary sphere and we did have some actions around the previous election calling out our representatives in Canberra and elsewhere against other parliamentarians. Julie, with Extinction Rebellion, in terms of the actual nuts and bolts strategy, XR is largely or exclusively focused on non-violent civil disobedience, which really puts the movement outside the existing political parliamentary process. Do you see that there's any usefulness from existing parliamentary democracy or is it really to just work around it? Extinction Rebellion doesn't really have a strict 
other than the citizens' assembly, which I guess is a way of getting it's a outside bit of an alternative, that, isn't it? Or, or an alternative. Yep. Its strategy with the civil disobedience, non-violent, is to get as many people. So there's been mass protests, petitions, you know, lobbying to politicians. None of them seem to have worked. We want to mobilise and 3.5% of the population is a tipping point that a government can't ignore based on research of protest movements that have worked in the past and overthrowing government in a lot of cases. So in Australia, that's like 900,000 people. That's a lot of people. So the strategy of non-violent civil disobedience is to both attract more people through various sorts of actions and to disrupt economic disruption, civil disruption, and to be open about it. So we have a strategy where, unless there's a very strong reason not to, we inform the police of where we'll be and what we plan to do. And that's part of the strategy. So it's really to get every sort of person, young, old, abled, you know, people with a disability from all walks of life. And it's doing that through this strategy of non-violence and being creative and colourful and whatever as well. The actions of Extinction Rebellion that have attracted the most attention and also the most criticism have been occupying major intersections, stopping traffic, stopping trains uh, in the case of the UK. Is there a risk that the focus locks on to the action and the disruption and away from the crisis? I think, unfortunately, the media will lock on to, you know, certain actions. So how do you overcome that? How um, do you deal with that? I think normally if we're disrupting, say, an intersection, we'll talk to people that we're disrupting. And a lot of people are quite supportive in that. So there's a lot of protocol around how you do the actions. Carry no weapons. Carry no alcohol and drugs yeah. and do not be affected by alcohol and drugs. There's ways of de-escalating, show respect to people in authority. So don't yell at the police, yep. show respect to the police, even as they might be arresting you. So do you feel that that's drawing new people in or are people feeling that that's an intimidating course of action and are shying away a bit? We are getting more people all the time in Canberra. And there are other ways to be part. You don't actually have to take part right. in action. You might be on the arts group sewing flags. Okay, so you there's a lot of be, different so ways different to get ways involved. to get involved. Okay. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to me, Sophie Singh, and the program is Subject ACT. Tonight, we're in conversation with Tim Hollow from the Greens, Julie Hill from Extinction Rebellion, and Zane from the Student Climate Strike Movement. Tim, you've mentioned that you think that our current parliamentary democracy is no longer fit for purpose. Is that the policy of the Greens Parliamentary Party? Look, the, the Greens Parliamentary Party wouldn't reflect on that directly, I suspect, but there's very clear policy positions that the Greens have been taking for many years that the way our democracy is operating is deeply undemocratic. You know, from the obvious things like corporate political donations, the stark absence of an anti-corruption commission at a federal level, the revolving door between ministers and ministerial staff and lobbyists' positions, you know, the fact that both the Prime Minister, last several Prime Ministers and leaders of the opposition have all had fossil fuel lobbyists working in senior positions right up to and including chief of staff position, you know. The Greens have been pointing for a very 
very long time at the fact that our democracy is being and has been very thoroughly captured by the fossil fuel industry. And so it's not working properly. But, and I think the point of the Greens running and having a presence in there is to continue to point that out to continue to advocate from within and attempt to make differences where possible from within the current system, while also very clearly saying this needs a lot of work, this needs a lot of fixing. So the measures to address some of those deficiencies Mm. are reforms from within. So is there a shift in trying to, at the same time, build up a growing activist base who work in the grassroots? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's reform from inside and, and there's rebuilding from outside which both really need to be done. One of the things that the Greens have focused on for you know two generations now is getting representatives into local government, for instance, and the incredible importance of that. Local government really closely connected to the community. They're providing direct services to the community. And you've seen with people like Jonathan Shree, who's a Greens councillor in Brisbane City Council, which is one of the largest governmental institutions in the country, in fact. And sitting there in that council, he's managed to do fascinating things like participatory budgeting. He's got a discretionary budget for his area, which he's been able to organise participatory budgeting sessions for, bring people in and say, okay, where would you like this money spent? And to set up systems for sharing stuff within his local community and really building social cohesion within the local community and getting people to start thinking about democracy isn't just what the parliaments do and our role is to vote for them once every few years. Democracy is what all of us are doing all of the time. It's all of the work that we're doing to build social cohesion, to address the things that we care about in our local communities. And government has a role to play in supporting that. Zane, the experience as a student with other student activists in your school obviously gives you a a much different insight than if you're standing from the outside as I am. But from the outside, what we're seeing are these really impressive and inspiring mass strikes overwhelmingly led by young people. And then between the strikes, the movement seems to step back or recede at least it's less visible. Do you feel that you're having to, in some way, rebuild momentum in the lead-up to each of the climate strikes? Or is that momentum being sustained, but we're just not seeing it from, a, I suppose, an outsider perspective? Possibly. I, it might be a different situation in other places, but I feel like there is definitely some truth to that. And I think in the new year, we're looking at doing more big actions and hopefully smaller things, things focusing around the community, things focusing around engaging kind of the base of people in between people who will just come to every strike and people who are actively involved in organising behind the scenes throughout the entire period. So I definitely think it's important that going forward, we build structures within us as an organisation to allow us to keep pushing forward on that and keep putting pressure even after big strikes and yeah. big actions. So you're having a more sustained level yeah, of absolutely. activism, which is obviously a challenge because in a way you're needing to take it up to the next level. Yeah. There's a significant disconnect that I think operate on a number of levels within that democratic framework. And partly we see a growing frustration between what people on, you know, in the community want politicians to be doing and what politicians are actually doing. And that then becomes compounded because people only vote once every, what, three years mm-hmm. at the federal level. Tim, with the Greens strategy of reforming within as well as building change from the outside, how do you maintain momentum and actually have a level of activism that is sustainable? 
sustained and grows and indeed gets ratcheted up rather than then slips back. Yeah, I have been doing a lot of thinking and talking to people about precisely that recently. There's such dissatisfaction with our democratic systems and complete lack of trust and it's been crashing over the last 15, 20 years since 2007. Trust in Australian democracy on one measure has fallen from over yes. 80% to below 40%. And that ties into climate campaigning absolutely in that we consistently are asking people to demand this particular policy change of their leaders and they sign up and they do whatever and then it doesn't happen and then they get disappointed and fall away. What I think we really need to be doing is parlaying our community mobilising that we do so well now in the environment movement and the climate movement into some community building activities which are actually getting people actively involved in how can we reconstruct our democracy from the grassroots yeah. up? What can we do? Can we get people who turn up to the strikes or to XR's protests or who sign petitions or whatever to actually meet up together in their communities and say, OK, well, I can help organise a walking school bus. I can get involved in a community garden. I can do yeah. regular letter writing meetings in the evenings. I can help set up a, a citizens' assembly. Yeah. And together we can do all of these things that bring people together and keep them together yeah. and still are directed at demanding political change from our leaders, knowing that that's not going to happen, but keeping people engaged by doing stuff on the ground which is making a difference, which is making a yeah. difference right now. You're bringing people together as a community and, you're and doing, that there's a bind, there's a coherence. Yeah, you're doing the solutions on the ground yeah. which increase the political pressure yeah. on those in power yeah. currently but critically importantly as well and more and more importantly as we sit here choking on bushfire smoke, they're actually enabling us to have the kinds of communities which are resilient yeah. in the face of the climate disasters. Yeah. And if we rely on our current political systems as these climate emergency events become more and more frequent, we're in deep doo-doo because that's where yeah. authoritarianism really springs on us. Yeah. I totally agree with Tim and one of the keys to XR is what that's called regenerative culture. So that's about looking after ourselves and each other but also envisaging a different community similar to what Tim was alluding to that's not based on consumption and making of money but community activities and caring for each other and caring for our surroundings. The natural world is so important to our mental and physical health. I wanted to try to bring it together and there's obviously a lot of common ground in terms of the goals, the transformative visions. Are there practical intersections where the different parts of the movement can come together and work together? Absolutely. And look, they always have been. As somebody who's worked in all sorts of different parts of the movement for 20 years, there always have been ways in which people are involved in different ways and coming together in different ways. So I think we need to get better at that. We need to get smarter at it and more imaginative about those intersections as well, about how we approach people doing certain things and create opportunities for people to get involved in other parts of the movement in ways which aren't poaching, yes. <laughs> which aren't kind and of aren't in trying competition. to undermine mm. each other yes. or in competition, but yeah. which are actually cooperative and generative yes. and creative. Yeah. Zane, is there some discussion happening in the Climate Strike student movement around building stronger links, say, with Extinction Rebellion or with the Greens? Yeah, I think we're definitely all engaged with all different climate activism. And I know that me personally and multiple other students in the School Strike for Climate ACT organising team are also involved with Extinction Rebellion yep. slightly or somewhat. And we saw with September 20, that became like a big thing that drew in all of the different yes. climate groups and climate activism. Yeah. So 
I think we definitely work with them. We organize in the, like the same spaces yep. and we all know each other. Yep. So I hope that we can continue to be linked yep. and we can bring those links further. Yeah, I agree that we need to cooperate. We've got yep. so much in common. But the other thing I've been heartened by, just over the last few months, engineers have come out. The doctors at AMA have declared a health emergency the Australian Youth Climate Coalition. There's a group that started in 2015, the Farmers for Climate Action. I think they're a group we really need to reach out to. The fire chiefs that have come out recently, there's more and more groups that are saying enough is enough. We do need to come together and I think we can do that in a way where we can cooperate. What you're saying points to the fact that that while you might be working in parallel spaces they're complementing each other and at the end of the day you're all campaigning and working for the same goal. Definitely. Thank you very much, Tim, Julie and Zane. It's really been a pleasure having you on the discussion and exploring the different strategies. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sophie. That was Zane, Tim Hollow and Julie Hill, climate activists working on different spheres of the movement on strategies, goals and common ground. Subject ACT will continue to cover issues of climate change and climate activism over coming weeks and months. And next week, we have a story on the People's Climate Assembly, which is happening in Canberra from February 2nd to the 6th. That brings us to the end of tonight's program. I hope you've enjoyed it. Tune in to Subject ACT next Tuesday night at 6.30 and every Tuesday night or stream us live or on demand at the 2XX website. Just go to 2XFM.org.au. Stay listening to People Powered Radio, 2XFM 98.3 for more great programming. I'm Sophie Singh. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.